0: Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked.
1: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He replied, what do you wish me to do for you? They answered him, grant that in your glory, we may sit one at your right and the other at your left. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized?" They said to him, We can. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or at my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the 10 heard this, they became indignant at James and John. Jesus summoned them and said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones make their authority over them felt, but it shall not be so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Good evening. This is this is the faithful remnant who clearly doesn't care about the Browns, uh huh. So no checking scores. Maybe at the end of mass we can have someone shout out the score. Okay, so just phones away. Let's all just be here where we are. Okay, so the uh, the pretty much every week on my day off, I uh, I'm, I make my way eventually over to good friends of mine. Their house, Mark and Lauren. They got seven kids, and uh, I'm I'm really close with them. They're really really good friends of mine, but. Yeah, it's just such a gift, such a blessing. So the third youngest boy, Frank, who's turning five in about two weeks' time, uh, Frank is just like the classic five-year-old boy. He's super into animals and dinosaurs and trucks and trains and, like, anything that can blow up or fight each other. Right? That's what Frank is into. But it turns out I'm also into all those same things as well, and I'm, you know, almost 33. So we have a really good friendship. But about a year ago, Frank discovered this series of books uh, called Who Would Win? Any parents out there know these series of books? Who Would Win? Okay. All right. So Who Would Win? Uh, These, I've read these books to Frank about a thousand times and the author just keeps coming out with more of them and I, there's a special place in hell for him. But anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, These are one, they're really great books. They're actually pretty fun. So this is the the whole concept. So the author pits these two different kinds of animals against each other in, in like this sort of animal kingdom cage death match, okay, and he basically is asking the question, who would win, right, so you got polar bear versus grizzly bear, you've got, uh, like, great white shark versus orca, this morning at the 1030 mass, I I said the um, hornet versus the tarantula, and one of the Gosiako kids told me, it's the hornet versus the scorpion, and I'm like, oh, excuse me, all right, (laughs) hornet versus scorpion, all right, so, so they got these animals battling out who would win, all those things, so, on the pages of the book, right, on the, on the, before the Battle Royale, uh, there's all this information about the animal, right? So you're learning about uh, its habitat, its hunting strategy, uh, all these different things. And, and invariably, on in all the pages, too, there's eventually the image of, like, a graphic of the food chain, you know, where that animal fits into the food chain. And one of Frank's favorite questions to ask is, like, who does that animal eat, He's really interested in knowing who eats who, right? Does he eat him? No, he doesn't eat him, right? Does he, does he eat those? No, those don't eat those, right? The food chain. Frank's really interested in the food chain, where the animals uh, fit into the food chain, right? The littlest guy, like the littlest bug gets eaten by the smallest fish, then the next bigger fish eats that fish, and the bigger fish eats that fish, and so on and so on until you get to the, to the apex predator that doesn't get eaten by anything, Small things always in the food chain, right, we know this, small things get eaten by the bigger things. The small things give their life up for the, not willingly, but they get eaten by the bigger things, so the bigger thing can have life. Now, all of that uh, kind of food, chain, who would win, the books, Frank, all of that came into my mind this week as I was praying with this gospel. Um, against, I don't know how the Lord talks to you, but some, this is, these are the image that the Lord gives me in prayer. And I sometimes am begging, like, are you sure? Can we get a different image maybe? I don't know. But this was the image. And this is actually really struck me. And I, I, I want to share this because notice, I guess, this is what I noticed. And this is, I think, very important for us to, to be drawn into tonight that Jesus in the gospel we just heard, Jesus completely inverts the logic of the food chain, Right? He completely inverts the logic of the food chain. The son of man came not to be served, he says, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? In, in the Christ event, in, in the, what we call the incarnation, God becoming flesh, God taking on our human nature, like the big fish, the big kahuna shows up in order to offer himself, to give himself, to feed the minnows. That's not how things work. That is not how things work, but that's what our God does. He shows up and says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you, right? He comes, the big fish comes to feed the little fish. And because there's this fallen part of our heart, because our hearts still have this heritage of sin because of the fall, we have this fear that when God shows up on the scene all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout our own lives, right, when God shows up, when we consider God, there's this Fear that says, I'm going to get eaten. And the enemy, just, like as he, just as he did from the very beginning, says to us, you have to run away. You can't trust him. He's not going to, like, he's not your advocate. He's going to crush you. He's going to destroy you. He's a taker. He's going to eat you. Don't trust him. You'll lose out. And the big fish all throughout the Old Testament is saying to humanity over and over again, like, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I am not like that. I'm not like that. And then in the fullness of time, he takes on flesh and says, you're so convinced I'm going to crush you. Fine, I will let you crush me. You're so convinced I'm going to destroy you. Fine, I will let you destroy me. You're so convinced I'm going to kill you. Fine, I'll let you kill me, right? This is the logic of Jesus, which is contrary to everything that we know, contrary to everything that we're used to experiencing. His desire is to feed us. To feed us. And we see it like it's it's woven into the very story of his life, right? Like he is the bread come down from heaven, as he says in John's Gospel. And he's born in a town called Bethlehem. We know the story, Christmas, right? Bethlehem in Hebrew, house of bread. The one who comes to be bread given to humanity is born in the town called House of Bread. What a coincidence. That's not a coincidence, right? And his first bed, where is he first laid? But a feeding trough. Right, That's what a manger is. Those of you who know Italian, right? Italian grandmothers, manja, manja, eat, eat, right? Mangere, manger, that's what this is. It, like it's a feeding trough. The one who comes to be bred from heaven lays first in a feeding trough. And at the culmination of his life, he gathers his friends and he says, take this, all of you, eat of it. This is my body given for you. Christ is inverting our categories and expectations. That's what he's doing with James and John in the gospel we just heard. Right? James and John, who have this, they have it all backwards. They have, they're thinking so worldly, so earthly. They're thinking in the paradigm of earthly power. Right? So they're jockeying for positions of power. They think that that's what this is about. And Jesus is trying to reiterate to them again and again no, no, no. That's not what I'm like. That's not what this kingdom's going to be like. The Son of Man came not to be served, to sit on a throne of power with, like, my subjects fanning me with big palm branches. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Like, as I was praying with this gospel, I kept getting drawn, not just simply to the the who would win, you know, orca, great white shark death battle. I wasn't just simply getting drawn there, but I, my heart kept, like... Being drawn to the scene that we reflect on every Holy Week, on Holy Thursday, right? The Last Supper scene, in particular, the washing of the disciples' feet. It's a super powerful scene. I don't think we spend enough time thinking about that scene. Um, We have it kind of boxed into our minds as like, that's the Holy Week thing, that's a Holy Thursday thing. But I just want to encourage us, maybe sometime this week, crack open your Bibles to John's Gospel and uh, just meditate on that scene again. It's really important. It's, it's Yes, the scene is paradigmatic of the Christian life. It's showing us what kind of Christian service looks like. Right? It looks like we're called to self-giving love, to, to serve each other. But it's so much more than that. Before it's a call for us to enter into service, it's a call to let us experience the service of Christ unto us. That's the first move. It's a revelation of what Jesus wants to do with and for us. Again, he's saying to us, you do not have to fear me. I'm not going to crush you. Right? Like in this mass, just like in every single mass, in this mass, we are mystically made present to those events that happen in the Last Supper, in the upper room. Like we are there. That's what this mass is. It's being drawn with the apostles to that moment where Jesus, just like he did then, he strips off the outer garments of his divinity and he lowers himself. He stoops down low and he condescends To the level of our humanity, and he he wraps a towel around himself. He wraps frail, feeble humanity around himself. And just like he did 2,000 years ago, he does today in this Mass. Instead, this time, he wraps himself in bread and wine in the Eucharist. This absurd humility of our God. And then what he does, just like he did for the apostles, he personally approaches each of us. But notice where he goes. He doesn't go to their Their virtues. He goes to their feet. He goes to their feet. In other words, he goes to their lowest place. He goes to their lowest place. If we're really honest with ourselves, when we look at our own hearts and our stories, we we hate our own lowest places, and we spend a lot of energy trying not to think about our lowest places. And maybe we've maybe we've maybe we've buried those places so deep in our memories that we don't even recognize them anymore maybe the like the lowest place in you is the memory of like your parents divorce and what happened in your heart and your soul when that news reached you how you felt that you got ripped in two and how everyone around you was telling you you just got to like you'll be okay this is good for you and your heart was telling you something else that trauma or maybe it was some other kind of trauma some abuse that you've never brought to the light of day Maybe it's your own self inflicted wounds that because of our own, because of our fallenness, because of this fallen world, the things that we turn to, to cope, to numb, to escape, all of that stuff, this stuff that we're so embarrassed to bring to the light of day, the lowest place, the lowest place. And Jesus, because he is mercy, like he goes to the lowest place. That's what he's interested in. He's interested in the lowest place, he's interested in the last place. He's saying, I've come not to be served, I've come to serve. Like, and the service he wants to render us is he wants to touch our hearts at their most painful, at their most alienated places. That's what he wants to do. He wants to touch our hearts at the lowest place. And he and he alone, he wants to be with us there, right? He wants to offer that consolation to us. That's what the word means. Consolatio, to be with someone in their solitude. Like that place in you where you were just utterly alone and so fearful. He wants to be there with you. Like where does, where does that encounter happen is the question. Like just like it did for the apostles 2,000 years ago, the Mass is meant to be, the Mass is the place where the overwhelming love of Jesus is meant to touch our hearts at the lowest place. That's what this is supposed to be. The Mass is supposed to be the place where we are touched by Jesus' love Like I know, we get dressed up, you know, get put our Sunday best to come, you know, to come to mass. But like once we're here, once you're in this place, once you're in your pew, settled in, like, and as mass is progressing, we should be more and more interiorly becoming more and more spiritually naked before the Lord. We should be removing the sandals from our feet, so to speak, as we come into this place. Because the one who came to serve is looking for the lowest place. He's looking for feet, he's looking for brokenness, he's looking for wounds, he's looking for hearts. And the tragedy of the church right now, the tragedy of like, yeah, the church right now is that we just, we experience mass as this robotic routine reality. Like, you can come to Sunday mass, you can come to daily mass every day, every week, and never experience what's meant to be offered to you. Like, because we enter into this place without a posture of vulnerability, we, are, we would be missing out always on the gift that's being offered. The heart that comes to us naked, vulnerable, exposed, given that heart is looking for another heart that is equally naked, equally vulnerable, equally exposed. And If we come here totally, like, walled off, totally, like, let's just get through this then we're going to miss it Sunday after Sunday. Like the tragedy of the, the story of the prodigal son is not so much the story of the son that ran away. It's the son who, like, didn't run away. The son who was in the father's house. That that story shows us that you can be in the father's house your entire life and never know the father's love. How many Catholics come to mass every week, every day, and because of our own imperviousness, because of our own fear, because of our own masks and defenses, we never experience the tender caress of Jesus. Like, he comes to us in this mass. He's coming to us in this mass. And he's looking for hearts. That's what he's doing. He's, he's looking. He's looking for a place for his mercy to go. He's, he's looking for mercy is looking for misery. Like the word misericordia, a heart given to misery. So the heart is coming, the divine heart is coming, beating in the Eucharist, looking for misery. He's looking for our pain. He's looking for our wounds, our shame, our our junk, all the insecurity. He's looking for that. He's saying, because I want to put there not more pain, not more misery. I want to put into that place healing and wholeness and joy and life. That's what I want to put there. But unless you roll away the stone, I can't put it there. Unless you remove the fig leaves, I can't put it there. Unless you get that honest and that raw and that exposed, I can't put it there. I want to end with this, a meditation from Pope Francis from a homily he preached back in 2015 to a community called the, uh, known as the Communion and Liberation uh, community in Rome. Listen to this. Pope Francis says, Only one who has been caressed by the tenderness of mercy truly knows the Lord. Let that sink in for a second. Only one who has been caressed by the tenderness of mercy truly knows the Lord. The privileged place of encounter is the caress of Jesus' mercy regarding my sin. This is why you may have heard me say several times that the place for this, the privileged place of the encounter with Jesus Christ is my sin. And the will to respond and to change, which can give rise to a different life, comes about thanks to this merciful embrace. The encounter with this kind of love opens up a whole new horizon of existence. Christian morality is not a titanic, voluntary effort of one who decides to be coherent and who manages to do so, a sort of isolated challenge before the world. No, this is not Christian morality. It's something entirely different. Christian morality is a response. It is the heartfelt response before the surprising, the unforeseeable, even unfair according to human criteria, mercy of one who knows me, who knows my betrayals and loves me just the same, who appreciates me, who embraces me, calls me anew, who hopes in me, has expectations of me. Christian morality is not a never falling down but an always getting up. Thanks to his hand which catches us. Friends, Jesus is here. He's already here beating in the tabernacle. He's going to be here on this altar in a moment. Like the big fish, the big kahuna is here. He's not looking to destroy or consume you. He's looking to serve you. He's looking to allow you to feast on his life-giving flesh. And the question for us is will we let him? Will you let him ransom you out of your own self-chosen, self-made hells? Those places of isolation in you where you are just alone and you've never let God into that place. That's hell. We carry hell within us. And he's asking, will you let me ransom you, take you out of that place? Will you be so vulnerable throughout the rest of this Mass in your prayer as we enter in, as we listen, in the silence, all of it? Like, will you allow mercy to caress you, to touch you at your lowest? Because he's coming. Will we give him hearts for him to touch and bless?